Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 191 and this episode is with the head strength coach at Seattle Sounders, Megan Young. Megan came on and we discussed her background, her career and what led up to the role at Seattle. We also talked about strength development for players. We spoke about her experience in the professional game, but also in the college system as well, and how her approach differed or some of the similarities with those groups too. We talked about in-season periodization. We spoke about microdosing, um, taking advantage of opportunities, where those opportunities came, and also managing individuals throughout a season as well. So we covered quite a lot in this episode, so I hope you enjoyed the episode with Megan. Just before we get into it, just a very quick heads up that we've got a couple of networking events coming up. So the first one, on the 21st of June, we're down at Go Perform in Reading. We've got um, Ollie Harrington and Callum Stratford both presenting for us. As this podcast goes out, we are on limited numbers for this event. So um, we do have a few tickets remaining, so make sure you check on the website to see if there's any tickets remaining. If you do want a ticket, act quick, make sure you confirm your place because they are being taken up pretty fast on that one. And then we've also got um, our Northwest event. So on the 13th of July, we are going to be back at UA92 in Manchester, 5.30 to 8.30 We've got Shane Murphy, the men's national football team, um, football scientist at the Scottish Football Association. He's going to be presenting alongside Warren Bradley, who's the founder and head of elite performance at Hytro. So they're going to be both presenting for us on the 13th of July, Wednesday the 13th of July at UA92. So tickets are now available. As the podcast goes out, they're early bird tickets, so make sure you grab a ticket for that event because that's set to be a great event with some really good networking opportunities, but obviously some great presentations from the guys as well. And just finally, before we get into the episode, a huge thank you to our sponsors. We couldn't run the podcast in its current form without these sponsors, so a huge thank you to them. First of all, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Blackbox believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle, continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home, and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best, and Blackbox has you covered. So go and check them out on social media at BLK Box Fitness. Then a huge thank you to Rezzle as well. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game-style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. Check them out on social media at Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. And then also, huge thank you. I just mentioned Warren is presenting for us on our Manchester event. And Hytro are our other sponsor. Have you tried Hytro, the wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in players? While many may have used BFR for rehab, Hytro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used after competition or training. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into shorts, delivering BFRs to groups of players safely. 
and more conveniently than ever before. And I've also seen that they are working with a number of clubs now. Um, there's a championship club that they've announced are working with. So some great work being done by Hytro. You can check them out, hytro.com, H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro can help accelerate the recovery of your athletes. Let's get into the episode now. Episode 191 with the head strength coach at Seattle Sounders, Megan Young. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 191. and I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Megan Young. Megan is the head strength coach at the Seattle Sounders. Megan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. It's going to be great to get into some of the topics that we've got ahead. But as always, as we do on the podcast, I want to get into you to start with and your background and what sort of led you up to the role with the Sounders. Awesome. Um, So I can start, like they say, back at the beginning. Uh, I was a collegiate strength and conditioning um, kind of newbie. Um, My strength and conditioning coach in college uh, was the first person to really kind of impart how much you can change the trajectory of your performance, which was a lot easier my sport of track and field because it's individually, uh, it's individualized and it's all numbers based. So it's kind of like objective meets objective. Um, so after the growth that I saw in myself and being able to control kind of my physical outputs and things like that and being a better athlete, I knew that this was the path I wanted to take. Um, So I went to grad school at Baylor University to study strength and conditioning specifically. And then I went as a professional intern to Auburn University. And then I was hired full time a year later. And I worked at Auburn for over a decade. Um, And kind of like all sports leading up to that point of being full-time. And then when I went full-time at Auburn, it was mainly women's basketball and women's soccer. And soccer was my first exposure to football or soccer um, was at Auburn. And I didn't grow up playing the game. Um, I didn't know the game. So falling in love with a game as on the coaching side is way different than having my own biases as a player or growing up uh, in Europe and saying, this is the, my team, this is like how football should be done. Um, and then that led me after a decade at Auburn to uh, the professional side. I went to work for the Chicago Red Stars as their high performance director for three seasons. And now I'm over here in Seattle working with a great group um, as a strength coach. So that's kind of like the that's and bolts. That's amazing. I feel like we could probably do a whole podcast on your time at Auburn and, and delve into some of the uh, experience and stuff. And maybe we'll get a little bit of an insight when we talk about different areas. But um, one thing that you pointed out, which I think is something that we've covered on previous episodes, and it's really interesting to get your point of view, is having not played the sport, what were your maybe initial um thoughts on the approach that you were going to take or maybe some of the target areas where you're like right I can impact this because of my knowledge and my experience yeah I wasn't afraid to be a novice I I didn't feel the pressure to be like I have the answers Um, and I think that's a very like humbling point to approach from but I knew that I had um, 
the ability to show that I cared for the game and for the players. So the first thing I started doing, and this was before I was full-time, was going to practice. Um, in the college setting, it's different. You have multiple sports you're working with, football, baseball, basketball, and all of those might be considered higher tier sports than soccer is in America in the university setting. So for me showing up, that was something unknown to them. Oh, like she's coming out to practice. She's like interested in what we're doing. And then I ended up um, being roommates with one of our assistant soccer coaches for six years. And all we did was watch football at home. So I got to learn from who one of the best coaches I know um, who went on to be a head coach, win national championships, now the head coach at Georgia. And Kadani taught me the game. So I got to learn from a good coach just from a visual representation of relaxing on the couch and watching games and then being at training. So from there, I built my own approach to trying to understand the game. And I love math and I love angles um, and physics because I was a thrower and all those things matter. So then seeing the game from that lens, I built my own scope of what a good football athlete could look like. And then how do we bring out all these different, it's kind of like a, a track team and that you don't want your middle distance runner to look like your long jumper. Yeah. Um, so, and that happens in football too. Sometimes a midfielder looks way different than your fullback. You know, sometimes your center back and your goalkeepers look way different than your strikers. So um, having that appreciation and ability to say like, I'm, I'm a novice here and be okay with that allowed me to have an open mind and learn from those around me. And then over time, over 10 years, really kind of build, hey, this is what the footballer within our setting looks like. And then that evolves again. So for me, part of what's helped is being in different environments from the college setting to the pro women's side to the pro men's side is football looks different in each of those environments, not necessarily the rules of the game or anything like that, but the different qualities or maybe the different tempos or the different tactics, all of those evolve and they bring in different players and different experiences. Yeah, brilliant. I don't think it'd be right if I didn't ask you about how that philosophy or approach or whatever you want to call it that you've taken to the game has transitioned through that time. So if we're relating it just to the pro side initially, but then I think it'd be really good to touch on um, the other sides of other groups that you've worked with as well. But initially for the, for the professional side, how was your, well, one, how would you determine your philosophy? Philosophy, what, what would be the, um, well, I suppose, how would you, how would you define that? And then also how has that changed over time? Yeah. And I, I think a philosophy is like a really strong word because for me, I'm a very logical thinker. So it's more of like a system. What's my system to vet a process and say, does this fit within an environment? And that is way different in a college setting where so much of the structure is already determined by the NCAA rules in time. So I think we can kind of move away from that and say, what does it look like within the professional setting on the men's versus the women's side? Well, my job as a high performance director is working way more with the technical staff and saying, okay, head coach, what is your system of play? Okay, what are the physical attributes that are going to allow that to happen? So therefore, those are the metrics that I probably need to have the greatest numbers of exposures to and monitor most closely. But then within our 
um, identification of each player, what are their three strengths within the metrics that we can monitor on field? And does that align with what the coach has? Or is that a vulnerability to that player? So that's something I need to focus on developing. That's a way different system of thought in the middle of, okay, well, how are we periodizing on pitch in terms of what matters to us within intensive and extensive, whether it's weeks, drills, whatever your framework is there to, okay, what are we doing in the weight room? So now that philosophy is way different in that I'm a head strength coach and my role here is not deciding what's happening on the pitch. It's, hey, how am I physically either preparing guys or working with guys um, to help them produce on the field or keep producing on the field if they're already producing or in the return to play um, kind of setting. So those, I can't really say that those are philosophies, but those are systems. And those systems have way different check marks and balance points in each of those roles. And within even, we can kind of talk about this if you want, within the strength of a strength and conditioning, the lifting or the physical preparation of each of these players, that can look different. And I think one of my greatest strengths is um, remembering that they're a human first and that they have a whole host of experiences that have led to now. And if I don't do due diligence of understanding those experiences, well, then I'm not going to build a really robust system for them now. Um, so if there's someone that prefers to lift four times a week, but have 10 minutes a day and kind of microdose across, and then also what is their injury history within that? And does that actually work with them? And how many minutes are they playing? Well, that can work. Well, it can also work to lift once a week or twice a week and get the appropriate exposures in. Or maybe you're a 16 year old player and I need to educate you on so many things and then also have a higher ceiling of where we are in terms of physical development. So within that, to go back to your question of philosophy, it's the system is about the human and the human is about the footballer. And those are all separate things that make up the one person, but that's how I design a system to meet each person within an environment and each of those environments has a different hue of what that system can look like. Brilliant. Megan, you know this, this because this is very much like an individual approach, isn't it, within a team setting? Because you're, you're talking there about different positions, different personalities, different likes, different dislikes, different experiences for each individual. So we're basically managing every individual depending on how many players we're working with. In your experience, you feel like that's changed over the last few years like do you feel like that's something that we're making maybe taking into account a little bit more now and understanding a little bit more whereas perhaps previously it has been more this is our program the players fit within our program and we take it from there yeah i think that it's twofold so you got to remember my initial kind of growth within this field was in a football and basketball bias role and I grew up around those sports and those games, and I understand them um, probably still more so better than I could say I could understand soccer. Um, and and that's 15 years in, right? So no worries. Uh, <laughs> and I think that when you look at how strength and conditioning or really, let's just call it physical preparation and lifting has changed within our sports specifically, it follows a similar cadence to what has happened in those sports and those sports used to be you you meet our program you do our program you're our type of player well 
not everybody fits into that rigid box that we wish physical preparation aligned in. And so then you saw more position specific, especially within football. It's like, well, it makes sense to probably train guys together that are similar positions, spend more time together. And then you also see them doing way more on field work, which I believe is more of a blend from soccer into American football and saying, Mm -hmm. man, soccer gets so much individual specific time within their, whether you call it functional groups or positional groups, football has really tried to learn that of what can we do outside of pads, outside of practice to still hone some of these skills. And that's interesting, right? And so, but from the strength and conditioning side, they were already doing that. So then you saw basketball is kind of like this rare hybrid of both where they're in, in, in the professional setting, let's talk about they're in season about the same length of time as us, but play way more games. So, you also still within that smaller roster have so many differences. So you had to individualize. And also you could because you had the best opportunity of coach to player ratio. Yeah. So now the same thing where you're seeing these staffs evolve, it's not just the, oh, it's what's right for the player. It's probably always been right for the player. Maybe we learned some of that along the way, but you've seen an investment from clubs into the physical side. So whereas it used to be, you know, you could be a high performance director, but that means it was just you still mm. to where now we have departments within our department and we have staffs within our staff and we have tiers within our staff. So really you're saying that we've invested into the human side of believing performance has more importance than maybe we initially gave within fo- within football instead of it's just on pitch what matters. And now that's allowing for that depth of coaching to really come out. And that just wasn't where we were 10, 15 years ago. I don't know what you think about this, but do you think some of that is player-driven as well? Because you see more of a trend of, of players seeking out individual coaches, and I'm talking more sort of gym-based, one-on-one-based work away from the club now as well. And I've spoke yeah. about this with a few people on the podcast, and we've discussed whether that is maybe that is a bit of sort of perception that they want to be seen to be doing extra, but is it that they have a relationship with the person, they're getting more of the individual approach and maybe clubs have to learn from that. I don't know what you think about, about that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that has been driven um, on the same trajectory of how you've seen fitness trends within normal gen population as well. Now gen pop wants to understand biometric data. I was at dinner two nights ago and a woman next to us had an aura ring on and my partner was like, oh, is that an aura ring? She turns 80 next month. So <laughs> what's causing her to want to investigate her own biometric information and sleep better as an 80 year old woman just out to dinner versus, yeah, there's probably going to be more resources if my whole job is understanding myself. So mm-hmm. I think that it's, Maybe we know we want to understand ourselves and work on ourselves more. That doesn't mean we always make the best investment. Um, So then, yeah, of course, there can be, this is my guy. I feel good relationship with him. So that's who I work with in the off season. Well, it might not be what's best, but it's what they believe. Um, And there's also that collaboration piece. Like if I come from college and I, had only that exposure, I would probably have a different answer for you and say, oh yeah, that's awful. And we just always have to work within, you know, these coaches and these youth or 
but I've developed some great relationships with outside coaches and private sector coaches from players yeah. and saying, Hey, I, I want to work and make this player feel comfortable. And I want you to be able to do what you need to do. Let's learn from this together and say, here's what I'm seeing from this player. Cause at the end of the day, my whole job is evolving of this player. So it doesn't matter if it's going to be with me or someone else. What matters is that we're on the same page of what that can look like. And don't get me wrong, that it doesn't always go as smooth as a Zoom call and we're all hyped up. And there can be differences there. But at the end of the day, I think you have to also say, what is this going to hurt the player? If it's going to be detrimental to the player, it's probably a different conversation than may not be what's best. But there's a big spectrum in between. And we also as coaches have to remember our view of what is best is still only one view but that player has their own opinion and maybe it's 90% of what you see and agree with, but maybe it's not. So I, I think that you have to remember the physical preparation. We can educate, we can inform, but ultimately the decision maker is still that player at the end of the day, or still that coach deciding our roster. So the better we are at the relational side, hopefully that can also transcend into we're better educators we're better teachers. And then all of a sudden we have a buy-in. It's like, oh, can you just help my guy understand or this coach understand what I need? And I, I used to say my guy, but I'm not assuming that all coaches are male. I just happen to work in a male environment mm. and I'm the only female uh, within the coaching side. So that is a loose term, not a stigma, gender-driven term. And I think on the other side of it, it's, it's really interesting if you open yourself up to learn from other coaches. Because maybe you learn something you didn't know that helps that player and you get to do consistently throughout the entire year. Love that. I think there's so many lessons in there about, about listening to players. And we always get told, don't we use your ears more than your mouth? <laughs> so it's probably something in there a little bit. Yeah. Um, Megan, I wanted to ask as well, because we, we sort of referenced it before about your experiences with the sort of collegiate um side of things and then going into professional with both male and female groups so what are some similarities but also some of the key differences with working with each of those groups yeah i mean i went from an age range in the college setting of 17 to 22 to in the pro women's side age range uh 20 to 34 to now on the pro men's side, 16 to 36. Mm -hmm. So you just see that, okay, there's probably a lot of differences happening on the maturation side, the um, training age side, uh, along with biological age. So I would say that is the, the biggest thing within the population differences is you have this really nice condensed version in college of they're probably in and around here to it grows a bit to, okay, now I have like this kind of extreme of fully developed humans with their own ideas, thoughts, everything, families too, can't even drive a car yet. So like they, there's a big difference in those. And um, also you can look at within college, the technology has become a standard. Um, so players in college are much more um, inclined to know about sleep and different things like this because we've developed sports nutrition departments, sports psychology departments within university settings in America. 
And whether it be driven from American football money or basketball money, those athletic departments have developed those resources for all sports. So that's benefited a sport like soccer to where sleep tracking and all these things are normal as of 10, 12 years ago. Whereas in the pro side, uh, especially in the women's, it's like a still new. Does that make sense? So yeah. if you've been in the league 10 years, maybe you've never done this. And now someone's asking you to understand or be okay with that. Whereas the rookies coming out are like, oh yeah, I've been doing this for you know five years. So mm-hmm. there's also a shift in how you educate is way different based on experience and based on the innovation uh, of technology and biometric information over the past five years. Um, the specifics in the college setting too, there, there's just so many constraints around what is appropriate training schedule wise based on NCAA compliance and what the, the rules are, which is way different than cat than the academy system. Um, not saying the academy system will afford you the opportunity to develop the, the sport of a player. I do think there's still something very special about the university setting to develop the human side of a player. They get to discern who they are and kind of live in that world and become that adult person that makes their own decisions. So um, not one is better than the other, but they both develop differently. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And when you talk about those ages that, um, I mean, even socially with those age groups is a big difference is before we even talk about anything to do with performance, isn't it? So yeah, people have got to recognize that. The other thing on that, Megan, is, do you think it's helped your career going in the order that you have? Because obviously it's a, it's a similar aspect. If we relate it to over in the UK, it's a kind of a similar pattern in that a lot of people work in academies and then they'll end up in a first team. That that tends to be um, the sort of path they go on. Do you think that's helped you going in, in that order? Or do you think if we could, not that we, not that we can control it like that, would it be better more beneficial to go the other way around or mix the order up? Um. I think I can speak to my own reality and that American colleges versus academy does afford a different opportunity because there's so many other people I get to learn from on campus, where an academy is more limited to the resources of whatever the first team is allocating. Um, whereas in the university, it's it's there's way more resources there yeah. um, on the athletic side and the university side. So I'd say that I'm lucky to have gone the way I went and that also I'd never set out to be like, I'm going to be a, in pro soccer. That's what I, that's what I want. Um, it, when Dawn Scott and I talked and she said, Hey, there's an opening in Chicago. I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was able to grow so much as a coach and go back to school and all these other things while I was at Auburn that I had a very good established thing going. And it was, why would I take a risk to go to the pro side um, with no potential investment return? Um, other than I could say I was in pro football, but that wasn't that wasn't an ego check for me or like something that I needed on my resume. Um, I went there and I met with some of the players and I was like, oh shoot. I see the direct impact I can have in year one here. As soon as I feel called to do something, I'm probably going to do it. So yeah. that's what led me to pro football. And then here it's it's kind of a no-brainer situation. Um, my partner lived in Seattle for eight years. It was a goal for her to eventually be back here. 
and everyone on listening knows that life and coaching very rarely align. Mm-hmm. So when that was a possibility, it absolutely. And then to come work for an organization that I think people like you've had Dave on, you've had different people on that they can speak to the special culture that is here. So <clears throat> I would say I'm very fortunate in my trajectory. I couldn't see it going backwards the opposite side. I know coaches that have done that in America or have even gone to the high school, but I'm in a I'm in a sweet spot here um, right now and I'm enjoying that. So I, I wouldn't say that I would do it backwards or change it. Um, but I, I, I do see where in Europe or as a young coach, if you have a first team opportunity, you want to jump at that because you're like, oh, well, that's the highest. And just remember, sometimes the highest means there are the most people. So maybe you actually have the least amount of responsibility. There's something sweet to be said for being in a second team environment or an academy environment where maybe you have way more responsibility so you get to learn way more and there's also something to be said for maybe there's less pressure on you there yeah the, the first team environment uh, that's something that a lot of coaches don't talk about is what is the pressure you feel being in the vp of performance role or the director role and you don't know that until you get in that chair and maybe that's something you think you're chasing and then you're in that chair and you can say well shoot that's not really all i enjoyed i enjoyed being more on that coaching side versus being in meetings. So that's something every coach should ask questions about of themselves. But yeah, I'm happy with the how things have worked out. Brilliant. I want to just shift gears a little bit and I want to take us into the gym environment now. Um, and okay. more precisely, the gym environment in season, because I think this is an area that gets talked about a lot. There's debates around whether throughout the season we're just working through maintenance. Are we trying to improve? Um, like what what are your initial sort of thoughts? And it's really interesting as well with your background coming into football, obviously, to get your perspective on this too. Yeah, I mean, I think I just look at the year and you say, okay, we're in season 10 months out of the year. So, and then one month after that, they're probably going on vacation and telling you they're not going to answer the phone for anyone. <laughs> so if you're doing maintenance while in season, then you're maintaining for 10 months. So you're saying maybe you have four to six weeks to work on something. From a logical thinker perspective, that tells me that you don't actually want to make a change. Mm. Um, and that what whatever whether that's the player saying that or whether it's the system that doesn't make sense to me because i um am a coach that would like to think we can always find something to enhance or develop and even sometimes too the word maintenance can be a developmental quality to maintain something you haven't had before or maybe just being consistent in something you've never done whether that's lifting throughout the entire year, that would be considered, oh, we're doing maintenance lifting. Well, it's a quality that he's never, this player has never done before. Well, now you've developed a new strength for them to where they are strength training year round. And that has to also be seen as a win, but much more of like the slow cooker process win than the, hey, we're working on, you know, these specific force velocity areas or something like that and dive into the minutia with a player. Um, so for me, yeah, we, we can always find things to work on with a player and, um, 
And oftentimes the player will tell you some of those things as well. And I think that's where listening and also changing sometimes is, yeah, it can be relied upon based on whatever screening, monitoring, all of those things are great. But when the player walks in and says, oh, I feel like this today, well, guess what? I can probably move some things around, change some things here or there to make them feel heard, which is going to make them consistent, which makes us keep moving in this pathway. And I love that visual graphic of what success actually looks like is this ebb and flow, you know, versus this straight line trajectory and us as coaches remembering that will be huge for them. Yeah, 100%. Just a very quick reminder that if you haven't already taken up the one month free trial on our online community, it's still available for you to do so. We've had Coaches recently sign up from clubs like Everton, Everton Collieries, Yeovil Town, Galway United, FC Utrecht, clubs right across the footballing spectrum. So you can join them plus many other practitioners. You can interact with coaches right around the football world, different levels, different roles, and also get access to all of our webinars and presentations by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab, signing up there. That'll give you a month free. You can see what the community is all about. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. You'll get continued access to everything that's on there already, including all the recordings of our upcoming presentations from our events. That If you can make the events, then great. But if you can't, you can still get access to those presentations via the community. So go and sign up today. Footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Megan Young. So in terms of priorities, Megan, throughout the season, and again, relating it into the gym I'm, I'm talking about now, what sort of stands out for you with your players? Like, what, what are some of the key priorities? Yeah, um, again, and if we get kicked off, Ben, I'll hop back on. Yeah, no problem. So uh, it goes back to that spectrum of players. So first, how often is this player playing? Are they a 90-minute every week and then also what is our match schedule everything eventually comes down to what's the match schedule and what is their contribution in that match schedule and if you've gone through tournaments like we just did early in the season which is a whole nother thing to consider there's match congestion these all these things that maybe don't i line up ideally from what we were taught from a sports science perspective of how you get to build nice and then you know you're ready for this condensed period in the middle of the season maybe and it's like oh no shift all of that to march you know so i think that um you have to be really keen to live in the day and in the moment and and what i tell players is it's your job to live right here it's my job to live about 30,000 feet above you in the next two weeks. And then it's the, the GM in the front office to live about three years. So like the, knowing your scope of what your role is, is super important. And then how does that impact what we're doing in the gym? Well, with the 16 year old, maybe that's playing here or there, can we get in some extra exposures on the match day minus two minus one, or even match day, if they're not being called upon or they're a sub? Those are all, even though maybe 15 minutes, well, maybe we get to reinforce six movement patterns that we've been working on. So now we're reinforcing movement or we're bringing in exposures of lateral emphasis, or maybe we are doing genuine strength training because he has 
Um, we have body composition and nutritional goals where we want him to fill out this profile, which means, hey, he needs to gain seven kilos over the next two years. Well, how are we going to do that? It's a lot easier if you can be consistent. So creating different opportunities for training. And then um, I like the term microdosing. It's talked about a lot, like um, in the NBA with um, my, my friend Corey Schlesinger is with the Suns. And I remember when he was back at Stanford and even UAB, he was talking about um, training maybe doesn't look right. You know, we're waiting for practice to finish, to lift guys and really controlled environments and schedules. He's like, that just doesn't make sense. And yet we spend 10 to 15 minutes a day doing warm ups. He's like, what if we just trained? Isn't training a warm up? And so that was kind of like where he started. But then now it's become this whole thing of training where you play. And for if I had 83 football games a year, 100%, it might look a little different. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense for me in the NBA, where, hey, we're going to get our work on on court before the game and then right after the game and then get on another plane and travel. So we're a little bit more blessed than our sport where typically you have one or two games a week and it's much more manageable to say, well, these logical days make sense to probably get some lifting in and develop some physical qualities. But even still, when you have um, exposures, maybe it's the 30 minutes before the team does film is there something you're working on whether it's rhythm or coordination that won't take away from what they're doing on pitch and even in the off season we're blessed in that we have some players that stay or live here locally well what can i work on then well maybe i want to work on some different quote unquote footwork things and i'm going to expose them to a different sport in a safe controlled manner um i i think that all of those buckets of like motor learning coordination control movement mastery that that takes time and it takes repetition and just like to develop a quality maybe that you have a low tolerance for it's going to be way easier to do that across time than increasing in volume in one or big two big exposures a week and at the end of the day like we said match schedule determines everything so if i see more available time probably going to have more time in the gym um and if there's less time due to a mats congestion well, maybe I'm just going to only get these one or two exposures. And that's what we can call a maintenance exposure to to still kind of trend upwards for whatever this quality is that we're chasing. And those qualities can be different. I was just going to say, so when we have recognized that opportunity, that window, whenever it is, does it then revert? I think you've already answered this question, but we'll just elaborate on it a little bit. But then it reverts back to the individual. It reverts back to the um the priorities for that individual at that time then yeah it, it does and also some like we can still individualize things and have it in a team setting I, I think that that's where people may listen to this and think that i'm training 28 guys individually all the time absolutely not like yeah. there is still an important aspect of we are on a team and we have a team culture and there's still some global things that probably most footballers should do to remain strong, powerful footballers, and we can keep them all doing together. But the individualization can be within, well, what does this strength quality look like? Are they an anterior loaded or a posterior loaded? Are they a single leg loaded? Are they a horizontal presser or a vertical presser? Are they an Olympic lifter? Are they using more accessory movements? Are they using more cable movements? Like all of those things are the tools that over 
you know, 15 years of doing this, you've picked up and say, this is where it applies. Or better yet, you forget some because you've done it so long and then you see it again. You're like, oh gosh, I haven't done that in four years. And you're like, we can add that in. So, yeah. and that happens, you know, and I think that's where building up your community of your resources as a performance coach is so important because I'll have conversations with people in private sector and different sports. And I'm like, I can use that. I can do that. Um, and also things like this podcast and social media, but yes, it's individualized, but that still may not look, if you walk in, maybe everyone is doing the same thing that day, but that doesn't mean it's not individualized within their plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the context that has to come on the back of that, isn't it? Um, yeah. You mentioned before, Megan, about the decision of stepping into the professional game came off the back of you recognizing like an opportunity and knowing that you can basically improve players. What was that thing or what were those few things that you saw? What, what was um, the things that you recognized? Yeah. Um, the team that I'd stepped into, uh, I knew I could do a, a better job than what had previously been afforded to the team in terms of uh, I was a resource. The resource before was only a part-time role. So now they were making an investment into a full-time resource. So that has nothing to do with who was in the job before. That means the club has made a move to say this matters more. Okay, number one. Number two, uh, improving the standards of what is best practice. So best practice for how are we going to use um, data and GPS information to inform our decisions or not of what we're doing. And then also from a player care standpoint, the environmental resources of what they have for a gym was nowhere close to what they had when I stepped in. And now you have a coach that is helping you do that. So a lot of those things were just bringing in resources and relationships to make things possible. And then on the data, the execution standpoint. So I have a very high standard of how things should fl flow. And that's probably the only place I'm rigid is on my own expectations of did I do a good job? And I, I still to this day ha, like do a debrief with myself every day uh, and write down like, where was I good? Where it could have been better? What am I working on in the future? And those are the questions I reflect in. So for me, it was taking that same system that I've developed and saying, how do I apply this for these people? And okay, now they have a gym to lift in. So we're doing appropriate lifting um, or weight room. Um, now we're using GPS information and working within, it was going into a World Cup year. So working it with Australia and the US national team to make sure these players were prepared for the NWSL season, but also ready for this big major tournament to make a push for what they both need to do separately. And th that was what was important to me. I wanted to make sure that those players within that team who had never been to a final, physically had player availability to be able to be in the final because I knew they were already talented enough. And so when you take a really talented group of players and say, okay, what's missing? And the missing is we need to have a place to lift. We need to have an organizational structure around how we're planning our periodization on pitch and making sure that's matching what we're doing on the physical side. And then we need to upgrade what we're doing nutritionally. Those are the same big buckets I would say in any sport. 
and just lining those up. So it was implementation of systems that we would all consider basic, but just making sure that they were executed well and then listening to the players. And we got to the final in that first year. And yeah, they really. all did well at the World Cup. No, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because that comes into your decision um, of the impact you can make as well. And I think some people get drawn into like looking at a role in terms of what is available within that role and not thinking about the big impact that they can have. And obviously that's something that you've considered going into it, which is why I asked, because that's what you mentioned before. Um, knowing your strengths, knowing that I've got, I've got good qualities in this area. This is something that I can improve these players on. You've got your, I suppose, your why, your rationale, haven't you? Yeah. And that's why you're stepping into the role. Yeah. And then for me, at the end of the day, what I enjoy most is the connection piece. And that's probably, and I don't say that because that's the part that comes most naturally for me. I do think that for some coaches, they have to work on those soft skills. And that doesn't mean that I don't work on them, but that is my superpower to be able to connect with people. And whether it's people to themselves, people to me, people to movement or people to information. It, but that's the piece I enjoy so much is um, trying to find ways not just to relate to people because we're not always going to say, oh, this is how you and I are similar. But how can we relate to those that are way different than us and we have nothing in common? Well, there's always something that brings us back. And that's why we love sports. That's why sports have such a great place in this world is it brings a sense of community and belonging. and. I'm a part of an organization that the fan base here would tell you, like, they feel just a part of this team as, as much as I do, sometimes more probably. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that that, that is uh, something I wish that was talked about more within, and, and it's changed, but talked about more within the education piece for coaches is you can spend all your time in the lab, understand force plates, understand GPS, be the latest and greatest in AI and 3D technology and things that we don't even necessarily need to use, um, but not know how to talk to people. Well, probably not going to do well in a first team environment. Yeah, 100%. I want to be respectful of your time, Megan. So I want to move on to um, some of our quick fire questions that we finished each podcast with. First of all, which I think will be really interesting. You mentioned a few names already, but who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Yeah, I'd say the biggest influence is probably Dr. Harry Erba. Uh, he was my oncologist in 2015. So he's the reason I'm still here. Um, so that without him, I wouldn't be here today. Um, I would say that every athlete that I've had the opportunity to work with, and I don't feel the need to name drop athletes' names, but uh, having so many repetitions and exposures of years of coaching different players of different sports has made me the coach I am today. And so appreciation for them. I wouldn't have a job if we didn't have sport and I wouldn't have a job if we didn't have them. Um, and then the other side of that is, <coughs> is probably a little bit obscure, but people like Robert Buckminster Fuller, uh, like Albert Einstein, um, people that were willing to ask questions and see the world a little differently. I've always found interest in, um, so those people, and then to speak directly to coaches that continue to impact my career, Andrew Ahudi's a dear friend and, um, you know, that's someone that I will always reach out to and say, 
what do you think about this? So <laughs> it, any of those coaches, um, and then another one is over in your world is uh, Dane Murphy's over at Nottingham Forest is a good friend of mine. And mm. um, what he's been able to do over there and his wife, Melissa Terry, um, Melissa Murphy now is also a good friend of mine. So um, those are the people that help really hone me and, and people outside of the coaching world you'll get a lot of understanding and learn from. Brilliant. And then what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Yeah, um, kind of hinted at it early, probably just the connection piece and being authentically me um, at any point. Like there, That's what I get to be. And that's um, the choice I make every day is I will connect with people and I will be here for people and I'm going to always be myself. Brilliant. And then if we go back to Megan before you took the job in the with the collegiate team at college, what would be your top bit of advice to Megan then? Um, you know, I, I've never been in this job for the money. And thank goodness, because <laughs> the money isn't there. Um, <laughs> But I would say, you know, you learn so much about yourself while also learning about others as a coach. It's a really unique way to develop as a person um, from 18 to however old I am now. I always misquote how old I am. Um, I would say my biggest piece of advice is invest into yourself in order to invest in others. So it always make yourself a priority. and. Um, if you don't do that, then you're going to lose yourself in whatever environment you're in. And seamlessly off the back of that, Megan, what, what is your approach to CPD, continued learning, like yeah. constantly progressing? Like, how do you go about that now? Um, a lot of it has been over the years. It was like I saw technology was becoming important. Well, I should probably get a master's in information systems and data science. That makes sense. I like structured learning, so I seek it. Um, I like to also understand universal truths, whether it be through physics or things like that. So right now I'm in a evolutionary biology course um, to understand more of like what, how did we become what we are and what does it look like to de-evolve and what does that mean from a movement standpoint? Um, so it's curiosity is yeah. my biggest thing that leads. And I just did a, a podcast with a friend and, uh, he was like, uh, I'd like you to know, we've had a lot of people on the show, but you have the most letters behind your name. And I was like, oh my God, I've aspired to never have anyone say that. So <laughs> it, like, it, it's just my curiosity. I don't care about the quote unquote certifications or anything like that. I just have a hunger for knowledge. And you know, if, if I'm going to be on this earth, I don't know how long I'll be here, but I want to learn as much as I can from as many different people as I can. So that unquenchable thirst for knowledge, like that's my driver of continuing learning. Well, that's also a great bit of advice for every, not only coach out there, but every person out there as well, isn't it? To yeah. real chase things that you're interested in and, and, and that's delve into that and go into those areas. Absolutely. Megan, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, yeah. where would you direct people if they've got questions, if they want to um, reach out to you, is there anywhere specific you'd send them? Yeah. Um, I know that you're, 
not in America. So what I've noticed is a lot of people will reach out via Twitter. So at Coach Mega, M-E-G-A, um, is my Twitter handle. And then my Instagram is Coach underscore Mega Strong. Um, so it looks like that. So if Perfect. people are watching, they can find me. Um, reach out to me on social and we can find a way to connect. And if you have questions, be intentional and ask those questions, but also a piece of advice for young coaches. When you're trying to reach out to anyone, it doesn't matter. Just remember they're all human. So all time is valuable. Yeah, 100%. Great bit of advice. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah. I appreciate thank you, you so much. the time. It's great to speak, Megan. And uh, yeah, all the best going into the next season. Thank you. Huge thank you to Megan for coming on the podcast. It was great to chat with her and we, we went through some really key topics, I think, in the podcast. So I hope you took plenty away from it. Please, as always, give it a share over on social media and just help us grow how many coaches this reaches out to. The takeaways on this one for me were that she said that she just wasn't afraid to be a novice. And I think that's a really good approach to take asking questions it gets you the sort of answers that you want and it allows you again what she sort of referenced in the podcast that it allows you to spot the opportunities where you can make a real impact asking questions as well so to our players like are we asking questions to players to find out their experiences what they've got going on what they're feeling at the moment um, really utilising that as a, as a real key monitoring tool and something that we can plan our training programmes off the back of. Because we're dealing, and again, this is another takeaway, we're dealing with humans first, and that is something that we have to bear in mind. Um, and it was, I thought it was really good when she sort of referenced, referenced about the different age groups and dynamics that she's worked with and the not only before they've even stepped into, onto the training pitch, onto the pitch, the sort of difference in um, social factors that are going on in their lives at different times, um, never mind maturation and growth and all the rest of it. And then the great bit of advice that she gave on the end of the podcast, reaching out to coaches, they're all human, but be respectful of their time. And I think that's a really, really good bit of advice. Like, Don't be hesitant about reaching out to people. But when you do manage to get someone either on the phone or on a Zoom or meet in person, don't take them in with the time. Be respectful of their time um, and be prepared before you go. Like Take, take some real um, questions that you've thought about, something that you maybe check out whether they've done podcasts before, whether they've answered their questions in articles or whether they've written a book or whatever it is. Be prepared before you go ask those quick key questions and then be respectful of their time when you do get that opportunity. I thought that was a great bit of advice from Megan. Go and check her out over on Instagram, coach underscore mega strong. She's also on LinkedIn and you can follow her on Twitter, coach mega. And also, I didn't, we didn't mention this in the podcast, but Megan has got a book. She's an editor on a book with, with Dan Guzman as well, actually, who's obviously been on the podcast a couple of times before, another brilliant practitioner, Strength Training for Soccer. I will post the link in, um, in the notes, in the show notes. So if you want to go and grab a copy of that, it is available on Amazon, Strength Training for Soccer. The foreword's been by Tim Howard. And like I say, Dan and Megan are both the editors on that copy as well. So go and check that out. But as always, 
Huge thank you for listening to the podcast. We're closing in on episode 200. So I will speak to you again next week in episode 192.